0: Thank you Dustin and good morning everyone. I greet you in Jesus name and again and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. <clears throat> I've lived i lived, I've lived with a mother all my life. And they're pretty amazing. Both of them. It's sort of, to me, it was a very, it was, Bethany will tell you, it was a very difficult week for me. Uh, I think she could have preached this better than I could. I feel sort of self conscious as a father preaching a Mother's Day message. Turkey Run is so blessed with good mothers. What could I say more? So I just want this to be an encouragement to you all. Even though you may lose patience sometimes, you might forget something. You might think you dealt too harshly with your child or maybe not harshly enough and you're tired. But the children of Turkey Run are blessed. And I'm not preaching on Proverbs 31. So you're blessed. (laughs) You know there's always times in history when there's reasons people give for not bringing children into the world. And today is no different. Overpopulation. Climate change. I read last week and I don't know if I believe this, you know, statistics are crazy sometimes, uh, it said a third of childbearing women that age, a third of them aren't going to have children because of climate age or climate change. Poverty, political unrest and violence, and just the general feeling that life somehow isn't worth existing because it's so bad. I read one environmental group is calling for birth strikes to save the planet. I read this in, this week in a book entitled Marriage to a Difficult Man. It's a story of jo- Jonathan and Sarah Edwards's marriage and family. And in that book the writer gives the a bit of the history of the early 1700s in England and New England, in this country, the mortality rate in some locales could be as high as in the 90s. And yet children were born. During that time, one character, Thomas Clapp, wrote of his young wife, she would say to me that bearing, tending to, and bearing children was hard work. Yet she would say it was the work she was made for. And when that young mother died at 24, she had buried four of her six children. Another family, the Stiles family, buried six of their ten children. The Mathers family buried 13 of their 15. And the Stowell family buried 11 of their 14. And for some reason the Edwards family had 11 children and they all made it and different people have drawn conclusions about that I don't know a couple of the reasons was that Sarah came from a wealthy family and she knew some things perhaps that maybe poor people or some abilities and resources that perhaps nutrition and cleanliness played into that. I don't know. But I do know that part of the Abrahamic covenant promise was that Abraham would have children like what? Like the sands of the seashore and the stars. And and it appears to be that that was going to be a good thing. Right? So it appears that children are a blessing and are to be planned for and expected and birthed and raised. History has always, as I said, had its difficult times in hostile cultures to bring children into. And you all know the story. I'm not going to turn there. The story of the birth of Moses. God's people found themselves in Egypt, a foreign land, and not only that, times had changed and there was a new dynasty, a new king, a new pharaoh, and with it, if you read history, a cultural change with this new guy. God's people started multiplying and it says depending on your translation, the, not only did the Pharaoh, the king, become afraid, the people became afraid. Fear pervaded the culture. And anytime time fear comes, what happens? Anger comes. Violence comes. And it was no different. And our society is seeing that too. People are afraid. Anger is being uh, lived out and violence happens. Yet into that culture, the irrational and horrible things that came out of that fear, four mothers stepped up. The two midwives, Shephora and Puah, when the Pharaoh told them, When the baby boys are born, you see as they're born, they don't live. And of course, you know the story. They chose not. It said they didn't fear. The word fear plays all through that in the book of Exodus and in Hebrews where it recounts that again. It just contrasts the fear of the culture and the non-fear of God's people. And I want to impress that on you this morning. We live in fearful times. We are not to be people of fear. Well, the two midwives, God bless them. Not only did they not kill the babies, they began having babies, it says. So Pharaoh, he didn't do himself any good doing that. And then Jochebed and Amram decided they would have another baby. And Moses is born. And they protected him. He was under the curse of death. He was to be tossed into the river. And they chose not to do that because they didn't fear, it says. And then of all things, Pharaoh's own daughter comes and finds him. It doesn't say this, but she didn't fear either. She said and she identified the child as a Hebrew boy, which should have been killed, but she had compassion, and she saved him. Four mothers. Good examples. I called them the first conscientious objectors. <laughs> Courageous mothers saved those babies. They were not afraid. They gave birth to babies, they raised babies, and they adopted babies during difficult times. Well, the child grew. Moses and his mother, as promised and planned, took him to Pharaoh's house, to Pharaoh's daughter. She adopted him, it says, and Moses became educated in all the wisdom of Egypt, and was powerful in speech and action. He had it all in Pharaoh's court. I wonder what curriculum Jochebed used for his homeschooling. as opposed to the curriculum that he got in Egypt. But we see that it overcame that. Because when Moses grew up, in Hebrews it tells us these words, he refused, he chose, he chose disgrace, not pleasure. He didn't go with the popular crowd. He looked ahead. He had a renewed perspective on life. He left. He walked away from that. He persevered. He kept the faith and crossed the Red Sea. Why? What happened in all of that? Thus my title, Outcome-Based Parenting. Or I, I was going to say mothering, but it's parenting. I think I have this right. I think the outcome based is from, and you teachers can tell me this, I think it's an educational theory that somehow we can measure if we want this outcome, what do we have to do to get there? And I think in this, edu- it's not always a good thing. It would be like, okay, my class here, and I want everybody to get A's. What do I need to do that? And so I back up, okay, now what can I do to get everybody to get an A? Or I think in your systems, it's what to get them past the proficiency test. Teach for the test, they say. Teach for the test. Not always a good plan. Not always a good plan. It would be like saying, Who's the best doctor? The one that writes the most prescriptions is the best doctor. Is that true? Oh, what if I had two builders? One, one built two houses a year, the other one built 10. We'd go, wow, that guy must be a really good builder. He built 10 houses. Is that good? Is that right? No. Oh. And that's what's happening um, with the outcome-based thing. So in parenting, what's the goal? And what does it take to get to the goal Appropriately, do you force a force a child? Do you teach a child how how do you all that kind of stuff? And again, I feel like I'm in over my head at times with that, and you do too. But <clears throat> that's what it is. So <clears throat> let's go to our text. It's one verse. <clears throat> Depending on your translation again, but this is the NIV. Our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants, and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. And the first thing out the chute there, you notice there are two sexes. there's boys and there are girls. and there's two there's something said about boys, and there's something said about girls <clears throat> sons they are well nurtured plants I study that word and it means the, the well nurtured does not just mean that they're fed fertilizer it means these well nurtured plants they're all, they're grown up they're mature they're large plants in fact they're oak trees they're not a bush They are strong, they are mature, they are big, this this plant. They are healthy in every way. There's no sissies among them, to put it in that way. They are strong in every way. A number of years ago, quite a few years ago actually, Bethany and I, we planted some evergreens around our house, different kinds, a couple different kinds. One kind was a white spruce. We had three of them. And over the year, after a number of years, they grew up, and we noticed that they're starting to look kind of sick, kind of thinning out a little bit, and they just weren't good. In fact, right now, two of them are gone, and the other one's on the chopping block. Because, and like, we talked to a tree guy, and he said, yeah, there's a fungus that gets on the roots. I mean, just in a white spruce. Don't plant white spruces because they get a fungus. We have another one that looks really healthy yet. Another kind. But that's what can happen to plants. Something starts happening out of sight, out of mind almost, but eventually it shows up. Something bad can happen. So, with that, we watch things, and I'm sure Jochebed was on her toes with that with her son Moses. She wanted him strong. She wanted that inner strength that would be lived out. To be strong is a perpetual charge in the New Testament. Over and over, Paul would say, be courageous, be strong. Stick to it. Knowing the source of True strength. Remember when I was young, I don't know how old I was, a number of us young men back at Turkey, we worked for a farmer up here, Albert. The man, we called him. And the first year that I, somewhere I worked for him, he would have a shovel. One of, the, one of our jobs was to shovel ear corn out of the corn crib into the truck and then he would take it to town and get cow feed made. Well, that I don't know who else was with me, but there was two of us in there shoveling corn, me and somebody else. And we got to chasing rats and throwing corn cobs as a boy would go. And we didn't get the job done in a timely manner, I'll say. And he came, Albert, and he wasn't happy. Yep, it's just like they say. One boy, you got a boy. Two boys, you got a half a boy. Three boys, you have no boys. And I still remember that because I'm a sensitive guy. But that hit me. It was good for me to hear that. It hit me. Like, Rob, you need to grow up. And so that needs to happen. And then I think that's what this is. That nurturing needs to happen. Our young men, parents, You want strong boys, men. In their minds, in their emotions, in their personalities and not just their bodies. What about the girls? The daughters? This is interesting. I didn't quite know because it sounds rather sensuous actually. our daughters are to be as carved pillars to adorn the palace to beautify it and so i looked at, i did study on that car what be what is a carved pillar what are, what are we doing when we make our daughters a carved pillar and so i looked up the word carved and it meant wood chopper and in our day it would mean a chainsaw artist you see those guys around that take chainsaws and make things like sculptures that's what this means chainsaw sculptures well not this time but they would have been like an axe or a knife sculpture these and it would be drastic when you take a chunk of wood like this and make a... whatever you make. A, an Indian. You know, you know those guys, they get, some of them are really intricate. And that's what this means. With your daughter, you're to take that and make this into something. It's beautiful. It's graceful. It is a lady. And I think sometimes we shy away from the words like elegant, gracious, beautiful, those terms there are, today there there are just bad terms we talk about sexy we talk about hard we talk no those aren't the beautiful columns of the church of the temple but it's something very drastic as i said the chainsaw and you make something out of your daughter that is beautiful that's symmetrical that's well balanced Peter calls it a gentle and quiet spirit, one of humility and consideration, not argumentative, not a drama queen, as we would say, and hysterical fears and craziness that sometimes can come if let go. With the outward beauty, there is to be the balance of inward beauty in our daughters. Now, that's my stab at that. What I want to do now is I want to give you five traits for your children. These are characteristics of God. A couple of weeks ago, remember when they crowned the king in England? Our daughter Laura was watching that some of that on TV with her children. And her oldest, Knox, he's five now. And Laura was explaining to him what was going on, that they were having a king crowned. And she said that he, as he watched that, he said, We have a king in heaven. And I want to congratulate her when I see her again. Laura, good job. But now you need to help that kingship work out in his life, of course, as we do with our children. When Paul wrote a lot of his letters, he was in Rome Rome waiting to be executed. He was in prison. And it always amazed me that as he sat there thinking about that, he wrote the books of Colossians, of Ephesians, Romans, those books. And you know what he put in those books as he anticipated his death and the horribleness of the Roman Empire. He said, husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Be hospitable to each other. Pray for your rulers. Doesn't that sound like Paul? You need to get a little bit... I mean, come on. It's bad out there. Yeah, it is. Obey your parents. Love your wives. And so on. And so with that, he gives, I think, godly attributes that are are to teach our children. I ran onto a whole list this week more than we can deal with in forever it seems like so I've chosen 5 of these the first one is courtesy we need to ch- teach our children to be courteous courtesy is an attitude be polite It's an attitude toward other people it's a it's a respect, and I know there are generational and cultural can be differences in how that is given, but the opposite doesn't rudeness is rudeness, whether you're in this culture or or time or place, so we're not going to be rude. What does it mean to be courteous? And I'm just going to be really practical. It means holding the door open for another person. Stopping and let someone go first. I read this week, you know what the proper etiquette, if you're, Bethany and I went through a lot of these when we traveled escalators. If you're, the proper etiquette for that is, is when we come to the escalator and it's going down, I'm to go before her," the man. Going up, she goes first. I didn't know that, but now you do. That's etiquette. That is courtesy. Things like that. I am so thankful for the table manners that I my parents taught me. I can remember uh, being at our. My Fisher family people one time, and I learned that when you're, you're sitting and you, an elder comes over to shake your hand, what do I do? I stand. I, I can still remember learning that. Those things, you guys, are so important for your children. In the culture that we live in, remember the culture? It's angry, it's fearful, it's disrespectful, it's violent. We want courteous children. Do you see how powerful that can be as that plays out? The problem that it solves is cruelty. Bullying. That's a big word now. Disorderly lives. Disrespectful lives. Being impolite and insulting. Remember how Mary anointed the feet of Jesus? Remember how Jesus treated the, lady, the woman at the well? Those can be stories that you share with your children. The next one is honesty. Honesty. Being trustworthy. I understand that at the military academies, part of the value take is I will not lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate anyone that does. And if you're caught in any of those things, it's automatically expulsion. Honesty is rightness in words and conduct. Be true to your promises and your commitments. Let's shake on it. His word is good as done. An honest person measures up to God's standard being real and genuine. It solves the problem of being deceiving and lying, unfairness, and an uncaring attitude. And you can teach that story by telling the story of Zacchaeus, of how Peter lied when he was confronted about knowing Jesus, and the horrible story of Ananias and Sapphira. Honesty. The next one is obedience. One of the most difficult lessons of childhood. Just to listen and obey. One that our culture hasn't learned. We resist the instructions of our creator. And lots of bad things happen. Simply obey. Another military illustration. Years ago, I read the story of the beginning of um, an elite army group, the Delta Force. It was a new thing. You had to be good to be in it. And when they opened that up, they invited soldiers to come there at a meeting, and whoever went, and it was very relaxed. You know, the military is usually kind of stiff, and everything's done just right. They went there, and things are relaxed. Their shirts were unbuttoned. The officers were walking around, fraternizing with the other guys, and just joking, and everybody thought, man, this is going to be great. And so they were told, if you're, if, if you're interested, be here at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. And they thought, great, we'll be there. 6 o'clock came, and the same relaxed atmosphere, but those that came one minute late, two minutes late, were gone. We said 6 o'clock. And I thought, Wow. Now, we're probably not that stiff with our children, most things. But there are things that do have zero tolerance, don't they? There better be with your children. There are some things that zero tolerance. Obedience. Obedience. So important. And there you can give the stories of Adam and Eve of Noah's obedience in building the ark. For years, he stuck with that. And of course, the Ten Commandments. The fourth one is perseverance. Stick to it. Don't give up so easy. Know what you're working toward and stick with it. Persevere. Discipline. Discipline. And sometimes parents are guilty of that too. You've heard of the hurried child syndrome? Let's get them raised. Get them out of the house. No. Have patience. Let them grow up. Let them have childhoods. Let them grow up naturally. Teach them delayed gratification With an eye on the goal. What you're saving for. What you would like to do as you work, as you go to school. Perseverance is tied to a purpose. Have a goal. And loyalty. Loyalty is huge in perseverance. Why are there so many I can't imagine. Why are there so many fathers walking out on their families? So many wives leaving their marriages. So many... Why? Because they haven't taught perseverance and loyalty. And it happens in churches. Any time, you guys, any time in this whole thing of perseverance, and you become critical of something, and you say, I'm out of here, I'm done with this. Anytime you do that, I see it in families, I see it in churches, I've seen it tear up families and churches and little children, because every time you're critical of something and do something, you leave a vacuum in that child's life, and something is going to fill it. And it's usually not good. Perseverance solves the problem of discouragement and giving up, of help, hopelessness and restlessness and indecision. And you can tell the stories of Daniel. He kept praying. And Job, he kept trusting. The last one that I want to give you is self control. To manage ourselves. How often have I thrown a fit? Lost control myself, we say. Sulk. I didn't get my way. Easily offended. Angered. Discouraged. Habitual eater. Junk food. Lack of exercise. And we can go on and on about stuff like that. Money habits. Liars and gossipers. All this tends to more, 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 more. And self-control is called for the problem of unreliability and frustration, waywardness in our own lives and our children's lives, and lack of confidence. We just want to fit in and be like everybody else. The stories you can give your children is the story of Cain lost control and killed his brother Abel. King Saul lost his patience and his kingdom Samson lost control, made poor decisions, and lost his life. The rich farmer lost control of true values and lost everything he had in his life. Teach and help our children to understand in all of these things It takes more than just these moral teachings, but it leads us to one who can help us in that. Our king in heaven, we can't do it alone. We as parents can't do it alone. We need God and others to help us do that task. But it's a task that has to be done, you guys. It just has to be done. The raising of godly children I'd like for you to turn in your hymn books to number three ninety. And Marvin, if you could lead that for us, it's a children's supposed to be a children's song. But before we sing that, I have one more thing I'd like to read to you, to the mothers, since it's Mother's Day. Mm-mm. This was not written by me it's entitled motherhood and then we'll sing our song my willingness to carry life is the revenge the antidote the great rebuttal of every murder every abortion and every genocide deep inside of me life grows I am death's opposition I have pushed back the hand of darkness today Today I dined with the guests, the greats of God's army. I made their meals, tied their shoes, washed their clothes. Today I walked with them, and when they were tired, I carried them. It is finally quiet. I rest, knowing no angel has ever had such a privilege. I'm humbled by the honor. I'm dealing with destiny. Today I was the barrier between evil and innocence. I was the gatekeeper watching over the hope of mankind and no intruder trespassed. There is not an hour of day or night when I turn from my post. The fierceness of my love is unmatched on earth. Soon these feet I've protected and taught will run to the corners of the earth with hope, compassion, love, and the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm a mother. I'm the keeper and sustainer of life on earth. Heaven stands in honor of my mission. No one else can carry my call. I am the daughter of Eve, and Eve has been redeemed. I'm the opposition of death. I'm a mother.